Hey, everybody. We hope you're enjoying uh, some episodes from the Classical Classroom Vault right now. We are currently working on a new season of exciting shows, and we'll be back with new episodes very, very soon. Meanwhile, if you are just dying for some fresh new Classical Classroom content, you can now follow us on Tumblr and Twitter. Just uh, look up Classical Classroom on either one of those, and you should be able to find us. If you want to follow me directly, I'm CC Dacia on Twitter. That's my handle. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode from the Classical Classroom Vault. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock, and I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... The thing is, I want to learn. And as it turns out, I work with people who know a lot about classical music. Every week on this show, one of my coworkers will give me a homework assignment, a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and today my teacher will be Brett Mitchell, who is the former assistant conductor of the Houston Symphony Orchestra and the soon-to-be assistant conductor of the Cleveland Orchestra. Hello, Brett. Hello, Daisha. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for being here. How what are you, you? going to teach me this week? I think that we should talk a little bit about, since we both have such a love of it, some of the music from Star Wars. I think this is a fantastic idea. Uh-huh. Please begin. Okay, so so we've actually talked in the interest of full disclosure a little before we came on the air, and I asked you to do a little bit of homework, and that is to look up the definition of the term light motif, because what John Williams does throughout the Star Wars score is basically use a whole bunch of light motifs to depict various characters. But maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what a light motif exactly is. Well, light motif. As uh, I looked it up in this very complicated book called the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Did Wagner invent the term or did he just invent leitmotif? There are plenty of examples from earlier classical music, the Berlioz Symphonie Fantastique. There is a tune in there called the Ide Fixe, which comes back in every single movement, which is reminiscent. Uh, It's meant to evoke uh, his beloved. So Wagner certainly wasn't the first person to use uh, a melody to evoke a particular character or particular idea. But what Wagner did, you're absolutely right that it was Wagner, the the great 19th century German opera composer, Richard Wagner, who really took the leitmotif idea to the extreme. So, for example, uh, the most famous Wagner leitmotif is probably um, the Valkyries leitmotif, which we all know from the right of the Valkyries. So, Every time this tune shows up in one of the ring cycle operas by Wagner, you know that either the Valkyries are about to enter the stage, they're on stage, they're about to leave the stage, or they're being talked about. Everybody knows this tune. Kill the wabbit. Right, exactly. Kill yeah. the wabbit, yeah. But it's a, it's a totally recognizable, instantly recognizable tune. I mean, even if Wagner only goes, you know what it is. You don't ha- even have to hear the rest of the melody. 
So when John Williams set about writing the very first Star Wars score in 1977, he used the exact same approach. So what we'll talk about today is the leitmotif use in the Star Wars movies because they are all, look, we all know these tunes, whether it's, um, right, which is Darth Vader's theme. But a lot of people don't necessarily know that it's Darth Vader's theme. I think that's probably the most obvious, that it's Vader's theme. But there are tons of other motifs in the piece that are meant to evoke people or ideas. And that's what we'll talk a little bit about today. This is very exciting. Good. I can't wait. <laughs> so, so why don't we just start at the beginning of the very first film, right? Okay. So, and by first film, let's be honest, we're talking about the 1977 film, okay? Not Thank the 1999 you. film, for heaven's sakes, Phantom Menace. <laughs> Menace, indeed. So Amen. the very first thing that you hear is the very famous Star Wars motif. So that's the main theme. But it's also the theme that depicts Luke Skywalker anytime you hear it, especially in the original three films. So, for example, the very first time that we ever meet Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, his, uh, they're, on, they're out in the desert, and his aunt calls him, calls his name, shouts his name. There's been music before, and all of a sudden the music stops, and the horn plays. And that's it. But it's enough to let you know that it's Luke. I should mention, too, because of something we're going to listen to in a little bit, that this tune does have two strains. In other words, there's a first part of it and a second part of it. So we all know that part. Mm -hmm. The second part is... So that's the B strain Mm -hmm. of that tune. Another tune that shows up in the very first film and quite early on is a theme that's associated originally with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's sort of the Jedi master. We don't know that yet. We know him as Ben Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And that tune is also probably pretty recognizable. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi's theme. But it also becomes known as the Force theme. Hmm. The Force sort of being the, uh, you can probably remember the exact quote of what the Force is, but basically the the religion, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. of Star Wars. I'll point out one thing about the, the Obi-Wan uh, leitmotif, which I love, the Force motif. In the 1999 film, the first of the prequels, The Phantom Menace, um, one of the main characters dies at the end, and he is a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And in the funeral music, the funeral music goes like this. Sort of a typical funeral dirge. Very sad music. But if there was any question that we were burying a Jedi, listen. on but that's all it takes it's interesting 
that Wagner employed this with opera, mm-hmm. and that John Williams had the the sort of presence of mind to bring that to film. Yeah. Was that a really new thing when he tried that? Had other film composers done that before? There were there have been sort of three phases of film scores in the time that we've been making films. The earliest films, once they had orchestral soundtracks, were written by people like Eric Korngold and Max Steiner and Franz Waxman. All of these became anglicized as Max Steiner and Franz <laughs> Waxman and all of that. Yeah. Um, but they wrote sort of those like Errol Flynn, Robin Hood kind of swashbuckling scores. In fact, in Star Wars, there's a scene, there's a big chase scene about two-thirds of the way through the film. And when Luke and Leia are about to swing across the big pit, that track that John wrote is called The Swashbucklers because it's very evocative Mm -hmm. of that style of music that was so popular in the 20s and 30s and the 40s. I said that there were three kind of periods. The first period was that sort of blockbuster, big box office, huge symphony orchestra kind of score. In, I would say, the 1960s in particular, Mm -hmm. and then the first half of the 1970s, it became very out of fashion to have an orchestral score. It -hmm. just was not done in the 60s and 70s so which is what makes something like like Stanley Kubrick's uh, 2001, 2001 yeah. which uses such big orchestral music it's what makes it stand out so much from everything else around it when George Lucas was in sort of the final production phase of Star Wars he called it over and over again to Johnny as he knew him John Williams <laughs> he said this is a space opera and he said he said it's so important for me that the audience feels comfortable with something and they're not going to feel comfortable with what they're seeing on the screen because it's totally foreign to them. It's lightsabers, which nobody's ever heard of. They're kind of a laser sword. And then there's blasters, which are like, you know, laser guns and all of this. And it's characters we've never seen. He said, I really think that we would be best served by having an extremely traditional romantic Hmm. score that uses those ideas of the leitmotif. So it really, frankly, was John Williams and the Star Wars score that brought back this style of film composing. Yeah. So let me play you a couple more themes, and then we'll actually listen to something from, from the soundtrack. So we've had the Star Wars theme, which we say is also Luke's theme. We have the Force theme. We have also what's known as the rebel fanfare. All of these motifs have to be instantly recognizable, right? And so the rebel fanfare is actually, in in musical circles, what we would call parallel triads, but it goes like this. The tune is... But the tune with the melody is... That's the gist of the rebel fanfare. The rebels are the good guys, right? It's Luke Skywalker and Leia and Han Solo. So anytime there's anybody on screen and they're talking about we have to fight the evil empire because we are the good guys, we are the rebels, that's when you hear the rebel fanfare. Leia, like her, I don't think I'm giving anything away here, her brother, Luke, has, um, I, I hate to give away the end of the ring cycle too, but everything ends badly. Um, <laughs> Leia has her own theme as well, which appears in this, this clip that we're going to hear. And here's Leia's theme. It's beautiful, lyrical. 
that's the whole first statement, but what you really need to know is just this. That's Leia's theme. One more theme that I want to play you from the excerpt that we're about to listen to. This is much less a theme and much more what we would call a motif. A theme is a longer tune, like... Mm -hmm. A motif is a really short kernel. And the Death Star, while it is important in the first film, doesn't have a lot of lines, Mm -hmm. so you don't need to give it much more than a motif. And the Death Star motif is two chords. One of them is what we call augmented. And then it goes to a minor chord. And it sounds like this. That's the Death Star, sort of really, really menacing. So the first clip that we'll play is from the first Star Wars film. And this is getting towards the end of the film. Again, spoiler alert if you if you haven't seen the films. And if you haven't seen the films, shame on you. So maybe we could listen to this. This is called uh, Ben's Death and TIE Fighter Attack. And I'll talk you through all the motifs as we go through. This is how John links up musical ideas with what's going on on screen. There's Ben's theme. Mm-hmm. The Force. He gets struck down. Leia's theme. I can hear the dialogue, you know. Han says, blast the door, kids! (laughs) And then Obi-Wan says, run, Luke, run! And they have to get out of the Death Star and the Rebels... That's the rebel fanfare. And Ben stays behind. Yeah, he's disappeared. Transposed the rebel fanfare again. Millennium Falcon flies out of the ship. Out of the Death Star. And then Luke reminisces about Obi-Wan. He mm-hmm. says, I can't believe he's gone. And so it's the sad Obi-Wan theme. Ben's theme again and the horn. And then Han says, Come on, kid, we're not out of this yet. And so then they go get the guns and sit in the place so that they can attack all the TIE fighters that are chasing them out of the Death Star. This is that transitional music while they're getting set up, getting their headsets on and all of that. This isn't any theme. This is just free music composed by John because he had 30 seconds that he needed to film. (laughs) And you can really tell where the arrival happens, where the dogfight starts. fighting the rebels rebels
rebel fanfare. To blow up the last TIE Fighter, which came, of course, from the Death Star. And here's the Death Star motif. So that's how John puts all those, wow. those themes together. I'll point out just one quick thing about Vader's theme. Because everybody knows Vader's theme. Yeah. I should say, too, the really interesting thing about Vader's theme is it actually doesn't appear in the first Star Wars movie. It doesn't appear in New Hope at all. <laughs> it doesn't appear until Empire Strikes Back. And I tell people that, and they're like, oh, my God, how is that, that can't possible? Be. But it's because Vader wasn't really considered to be one of the principal characters mm. in the first film. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, the film came out, and everybody loved Vader. Who doesn't love Darth Vader? I mean, he's fantastic. He's got that um, and, uh, and so John wrote him his own theme. It's called the Imperial March. But the thing that I think is fantastic about this, when John went back in 1999 and wrote the music for Phantom Menace, when Darth Vader, who is Anakin Skywalker, when he's a little boy, but he writes Anakin this really, really beautiful theme that's in A major, Lydian, nice, really, really beautiful melodies. But listen to what he does here at the end. Anakin Skywalker, who is going to become Darth Vader. Listen to this. Listen to the harmonies. Whoa. Just enough. Whoa. Just enough so that you know that he's going to become Vader, right? I mean, it's it's a fantastic bit of tone painting. One, I think we'll, we'll just play one more, um, one more clip. And this is something that everybody knows. This is the, it's called the throne room and end title from the first oh, film. Yeah. I know this is one of your favorites. It, it opens up with a fanfare that's not necessarily related to anything, but the tune that you get is the force theme, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of having it be a sort of more melancholy thing like it usually is, he sets it as a march. So it's fascinating because Ben is gone, clearly, but he and the Force have sort of helped the heroes do what they need to do Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the film by blowing up the Death Star. There are all sorts of these themes that come back. Uh, Why don't we just have a listen to it and I'll I'll talk you through them as as we go. Just a nice fanfare. Mm -hmm. Doesn't come And here's the force theme. Mm-hmm. 
see them all getting the medals. Mm -hmm. And then this is a brand new tune. John called this his land of hope and glory hmm. motif. It's meant to symbolize the heroes and their, their purity. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the ring. And then for the first time in a long time, the second part of Luke's theme comes back. Hmm. That's why it's so important to know both strains of the main game. Mm -hmm. And the Hope and Glory theme comes back. Titles come up. Main theme. I love that part. And then the rebel fanfare. strain of Luke's theme. Luke's theme again. Okay, here comes Leia's theme. Leia's theme is in the cellos, rebel fanfare in the flutes. Listen here. Hear that rebel fanfare up there? Mm -hmm.
Now this is the Rebel fanfare again, but really slow. And then the Hope and Glory theme as a closing fanfare. some amazing stuff so it's i mean it's great music and you can totally just listen to the music as fantastic music to listen to Mm -hmm. and you don't need to know any of that to enjoy it but i feel like it's kind of like watching the ring for me it's like the more you know Mm -hmm. what all of the motifs mean now you don't have to go through the ring and hunt for all the motifs and color code them in your score it's not necessary but the more you know what Wagner is trying to evoke, the more you know what John Williams is trying to evoke, mm-hmm. the more you'll enjoy it because it's it's a more complete way to to enjoy the film. It's well, genius. It, it gives an entirely new dimension to that. I mean, even if you're not paying attention to the music this closely, you don't know much about it. The music is already fantastic. Yeah. It's so recognizable. It's so catchy. But when you're really paying attention to it, you can actually anticipate moments in the film because you're, you know, you're, t- you're tuned in to the music and you know what's about to happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, uh, Williams had the same the same aim as as Wagner did, which is to telegraph things that they don't want to say openly, that they don't want to say blatantly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Wagner does it all the time. He'll tell you somebody will say, I don't know who my father is. And then you'll hear Wotan's theme, the Valhalla theme. And it's like, well, we know something now that you don't know. Uh, and John does that a lot in, huh. in these scores as well. It's one of a million reasons I love these scores and think they're just, they're, especially as a collection, all six of them, I think it's it's one of the great artistic achievements of our time. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. I have one question for yeah. you. And you said that that John Williams got the idea for for using leitmotifs in Star Wars from from Wagner. Mm-hmm. But was he was he a, a Wagner fan? I mean, would you say that he's borrowing from Wagner heavily? I think that he's borrowing technique from Wagner. But I don't think that he's borrowing the tunes themselves or even the harmonies themselves. It, it's not that first of all, I have to say one of my very favorite quotes of all time, I think it's a a George Bernard Shaw quote. He said, good writers borrow from other writers. Great writers steal outright, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is a fantastic quote. There are plenty of cases, and he took a lot of flack for this in the Star Wars score, that are very reminiscent of um, classical pieces that are mm. that are quite well known. Um, in fact, the beginning of the throne room and end title, which we just listened to, when you have the march in F minor, that sounds an awful lot like the finale of the Dvorak New World Symphony. Mm. Um, when you listen to at the very beginning of the film, there's this big. Um, actually, it happens uh, when the Death Star is about to blow up too. But this sort of. And that's basically right out of um, 
Mars from Holst's The Planets. Oh. Um, there's a scene on Tatooine with the sand people that sounds a lot like the beginning of part two of The Rite of Spring. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason that that <gasps> happened in this piece, you know, when you compose a film score, they may have been working on this film. I mean, it may have been in production for a couple years, two, three, even four years mm. by the time that the composer sees it. They recorded the Star Wars soundtrack in the middle of March 1977, which is only two months before it was released. So John didn't have a lot of time, and most film composers (laughs) don't have a lot of time. But what composers, what film composers have to deal with sometimes is what's called temp tracking, where the director or the sound editor or somebody gets in there and says, I'm tired of looking at my film without any music at all so Mm -hmm. here's kind of generally what i'm looking for just play dvorak nine over this part Mm. because that's kind of the gist of what i'm looking for play the beginning of rite of spring over here play mars over here and sometimes through no fault of their own film composers see the film with that temp track in it Mm -hmm. and they say you want something that sounds like that i can give you something that sounds like that (laughs) sometimes it sounds a lot (laughs) like that so so I don't think that he was being derivative of Wagner. I don't okay. think there are a lot of these these tunes that could have been written um, by Wagner, maybe, maybe one or two. But Williams, he always says that he's a huge fan of British orchestral music. So he loves Elgar. He loves William Walton. Um, he loves, to some extent, Benjamin Britten. And so... So I would say that between between those British influences, between the temp track influences, and frankly, there's just there's an awful lot of Prokofiev in here too, especially that tie fight, uh, the tie fighter battle that we listen to. That's the sort of you know. I mean, it's it's actually not so far removed from the Rite of Spring. But so I, I don't think it's derivative. I think he took a lot more flack for it than than he needed to. He took a technique that was a little over 100 years old at the time, and really made it his own. And I think that's why we still, uh, what is it now, 36 years later, um, we still not only watch the films, but listen to the soundtracks by themselves. It's just the music is that good. It really is. Isn't it? (laughs) Brett, thank you so much for being in the classical classroom today. I have... So much music to listen to now. I've got Prokofiev, I've got Elgar, <laughs> I've got all these things. I'm I'm suddenly interested in classical music. This is so weird. Heaven forbid. <laughs> right? <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been The Classical Classroom. 